from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. A lot of that uh, preoccupation with the disruptive part of the protest yeah. or um, the chaotic part or the quote-unquote outside actor, you know, like all of those narratives um, and those headlines, I think I wanted to to write a corrective to those things as well. It's the rhythm chants, even without the drumsticks, and also part of a blue-lettered metal tear gas canister, a ghost home emptied of teeth, and also the hint of a blunt, a weak strain, dust lingering in the crevice of a pocket, and finally, courage. I'm Jeremy Goodwin. Jackie Germain is a St. Louis-based writer and activist. She's published in The Nation, The Guardian, lots of other places. Right now, she's finishing up a year reporting on class and economic inequality for Teen Vogue. Uh, but her debut poetry collection is called Bittering the Wound. It's out right now from Autumn House Press, and it's inspired by her personal experiences during the Ferguson uprising after the police killing of Michael Brown. Uh, Jackie Jermaine, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool. Yeah, well, one of the first things I did at the station was sit on a park bench with you in Lafayette Park uh, to get a quote about some story or other. Yours is a name that comes up in discussions about the art scene in St. Louis, especially with respect to uh, social justice concerns. So I was surprised to learn this is actually your first full book. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank How, you. Why was this the time that this happened for you? Yeah, um, I knew I wanted to write about the uprising uh, kind of during the uprising and in, in kind of the years after, but it took me a little while sort of processing the actual lived experience of the thing before I can uh, start writing the poems on the thing. And then uh, it just sort of, you know, sort of took a couple of years of working through those poems and versions of the poems to get to the point of actually having a, uh, a full manuscript that I could submit. Um, and yeah, here we are. It feels like a lifetime ago, but these are very much those same poems. So, uh did you think of this as a body of work when you started sitting down writing about Ferguson? Um, I did. I did. I think early on I knew that I wanted to write a collection um, that was sort of specifically placed in St. Louis that folks who lived through the uprising could um, kind of see themselves in or be able to kind of recognize um, different features of the poems or things that I'm pointing out um, because I think – you know, one of the things that we experienced during the uprising for folks here in St. Louis is being very aware of the fact that people were not familiar with the city, were not familiar with the county, the relationship to the city, just just very much unfamiliar with, um, you know, the people here, even, even in the reporting at the national level. And so I wanted to write something that was kind of a response to that, but then also something that just uh, would be, um, I don't know, useful, uh, obviously cathartic, but also kind of a corrective uh, to that national narrative as well. Well, someone who reads Bittering the Wound, what will they learn about Ferguson or what kind of perspective will they see that maybe they didn't get from looking at that national coverage? Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the things that I'm hoping comes through in the book um, is that, you know, in these moments, they are incredibly chaotic. We've seen several of them since Ferguson, obviously. Um, they are incredibly chaotic, but they're also full of relationships. They're full of people building relationships with each other, with each other building um, organizations with each other. Um, Action St. Louis, which is you know a powerhouse in the city, was started during the uprising as one of the few remaining organizations um, that's still doing incredible work in the city. Um, people were were you know it's an incredibly generative time, even though it's very chaotic and very disruptive. 
perspective. And so I want those those kinds of relationships, the love for each other and for the community and for St. Louis to come through as well. What did some of that national press that, or we'll just say the press, with St. Louis Public Radio did lots of coverage of Ferguson, uh, local media did, national media, international. What is something that uh, some of that coverage missed? Yeah, I mean, I think, and again, this was sort of like one of the one of the earliest moments I think for us uh, nationally. These kind of chaotic these kind of protests um, that we'd seen in a, in a very long time. And so we were still in the age of, you know, very much focusing on a burning trash can or focusing on uh, mm. these narratives around these kind of singular narratives around loot, uh, around looting or property damage. We were very much, you know, the national press was, was deferring to police press reports as fact, which is yeah. something that just now was becoming questioned more regularly. Right. But back then that was the default. And so a lot of police protests, were just considered the official right. Right, right. as opposed to a source among right. different competing interests. Right. Regardless of like, you know, people on the ground maybe tweeting something different, right? Yeah. Um and and so I think a lot of I think a lot of that uh preoccupation with the disruptive part of the protest yeah. or um the chaotic part or the quote unquote outside actor, you know, like all of those narratives um and those headlines, I think I wanted to to write a corrective to those things as well. And you you'll share some of the work with us? Is that is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Um can we look at the poem A List of Things Recovered from Protesters? That's relatively early in the book. Sure, is there anything you want to tell us first? Um, so this is a poem after Sam Sachs, who is a fantastic poet out of the Bay Area. Um, yeah. So this is uh, a list of items recovered from protesters. First, my heart, though covered in dust and peeling, and also the praying palms of someone's mama tucked into a back pocket next to a sour, sweat-stained kerchief, folded and strained along the diagonal crease, and finally, a rock from the ground of the street that is still ours. First, the praying palms of someone's mama wrapped around a shirt collar, covering a thin gold chain dangling off a bent chest pressed with sweat, and also a rock from the ground of the street that is still ours, and finally, a red cap embroidered with STL and white above the lid. First, a thin gold chain dangling off a bent chest pressed with sweat, and also expensive kicks, cheap kicks, knockoff kicks, flip-flops and boots step-stepping on beat, and also a red cap embroidered with STL and white above the lid, and finally, a thick grill, the kind that ends up photographed for an edgy, gallery, bodiless. First, expensive kicks, cheap kicks, knockoffs, flip-flops, and boots step-stepping on beat to a drum-drum collecting the bat-baps and rhythm chants and drumsticks in our fists, and also a thick grill, the kind that ends up photographed for an edgy gallery bodiless, and finally, the hint of a blunt, a weak strain, dust lingering in the crevice of a pocket. First, the drum-drum, the bat-baps, the rhythm chants even without the drumsticks, and also part of a blue-lettered metal tear gas canister, a ghost home emptied of teeth, and also the hint of a blunt, a weak strain, dust lingering in the crevice of a pocket, and finally, courage, having abandoned metaphor in most cases. First, part of a blue-lettered metal tear gas canister, wrapped in a sour, sweat-stained kerchief and folded along the diagonal crease, and also courage, having abandoned metaphor in most cases and becoming a salve for my heart, though covered in dust and peeling. Jackie, Jackie Germain with the poem. The title again? A list of items recovered from protesters. A list of items recovered from protesters. Jackie, you said you wanted to write to Ferguson and not about it. 
what's the distinction? Yeah, I mean, I think um, writing about Ferguson as kind of this um, outside observer perspective that I think very oftentimes it's the kind of angle that you're hearing folks reaching for some sort of objective um, analysis or conclusion or description. Um, But I wanted to write to Ferguson because um, I wanted to be in relationship because I was literally there, right? Um, And spent weeks and months um, with the folks that were also there, um, whose names will never, you know, make it into a new story or, you know, or whatever else. Folks who lived in St. Louis before still live there now. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I wanted to... I think I think sometimes as storytellers and, you know, myself also as a journalist, you have that kind of conversation about objectivity that comes up over and over again. And I wanted this to be very, very subjective. Yeah. I wanted it to be um, – I wanted – you know, my bias is very much clear and I'm not um, shy about that. Um, and I wanted to write to that feeling and directly into that feeling. Something I – find really interesting in the work, Jackie, is something we can't hear on the radio, but your use of space on the page is really interesting. Sometimes the lines move down the page in an orderly fashion, but sometimes they don't. And a section may be pointed off in a different direction or seeming to almost fall off the page. There's times where words are crowded together like they're trying to get out. Uh, How do you use techniques like that to uh, get your point across? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I think Poets have a lot of, or you know, writers in general have a lot of different answers to this. But I think specifically poets, um, it very much has to do with what they are trying to do in a given poem. Perhaps um, for me, with with this book, a lot of what I wanted to play around with um, is is this idea of chaos, is this idea of disregarding chronology, uh, chronology um, because. Uh, that's kind of how the experience was in real life. And certainly these poems are based on memories of those experiences. What I'm playing with the page, what I'm playing with is pacing or your sense of time, or um, even when you're sort of um, reading the poem in your head versus hearing it out loud. Um, There are ways, you know, be it punctuation or spacing on the page where you can speed up a reader or slow down a reader or force them to kind of trip up on something that they might reference later in a poem. And so what I wanted to do with the spacing on with some of these was sort of just play around with that with the reader as well. Yeah. And also you use all sorts of forms, right? Just paging through, we see longer stanzas, shorter ones, bulleted lists. Um, you're, You're using all kinds of tools there. Yeah, that's the fun part about poetry, I think, is that you can kind of do, you you really can do um, whatever you can imagine on the page. You don't even, I mean, writing in general, right, when you think of writing as a form around the world, it doesn't look the same, you know, in that way either. And so I try to think of poetry as a way for us to kind of think of all of the things, all of the ways it's possible to communicate a feeling or a sense or an experience with someone um, in which we don't have to pay attention to some of the same rules Mm. uh, that different forms of writing you might have to. Could we go to another one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was looking at Nat Turner comes to the highway action. And for folks who who don't remember, Nat Turner, of course, led a rebellion of enslaved people in Virginia back in 1831. And uh, this poem, there's, there's a real sense of awareness of black ancestors and a rich history of resistance. Absolutely, yeah. Um, This is called Nat Turner Comes to the Highway Action. The sun, like a giant red heat lamp, the light, like a wide blue tarp, the stretch and stretch of cars in both directions and the people sitting anxious before their steering wheels, vomiting middle fingers and blaring horns. I remember the black gray pavement like good, good soil, freshly cleared for the planting, 
the flickering of trail, the flickering trail of dancing lights building in the far off distance, the line of us across the highway's waste, stationed like orange cones, except that when a cone is run over, it does not die. And Nat was there. Imagining the roadway already planted, pregnant, come to harvest, he heard a story once about old, old, old black magic and a freedom spell. Some of the people could fly, he said, and they flew right up out of the fields, up over the gaping white men, black folk pleading with their bones to remember how, all the way back to Africa, as the story goes. Nat never saw it, only heard stories, preferred to privilege his God and deliverance personally, but here we are, dreaming of sky and in need of some old, old, old black magic. He whispered the spell and some ghosts misted up out of the tar because, you know, there are bones everywhere around here, but for the rest of us, the blue mouth closed, the people ran, the teeth bit, and the horror circled, drooled, licked the air for our fear and surrender. I remember the chants and all of our proud voices, the car windows rolled down and the radio that tried to swallow us, the uniforms speckling the freeway shoulder, the green hillside, the mouth of badges that began to close around us. And Nat sighed under his breath, turning his chin up towards the clouds. I guess they forgot how. He breathed and the roadway breathed too, promised it would remember us, said, the ground holds everything close, keeps all the secrets men don't write down. Jackie, have you had the chance to have you read much of this work outside of St. Louis yet? <laughs> um, I've read <laughs> I've read some of it. Um, yeah, I've read a little bit of it, but I don't read a lot of it outside of St. Louis. Um, I'm just wondering what kind of response you get. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I kind of it's it's weird because I kind of forget um, that the uprising was such a long time ago, <laughs> mm. right? And so so if I'm going to a college campus, for example, those are folks who were kids when it happened, um, who might have a very different experience of what it was like to watch it on the news, maybe with their parents or something like that. Um, and so some of the touchstones, some of the references, um, they might not pick up on, but then they also sometimes pick up on things that I didn't even, you know, recognize or realize. Um, so it's definitely a very different experience, but I think that's also in, in a way, um, an affirmation of what I wanted to do with the poem, which is that I wanted it to feel very specific to St. Louis. And so there is a bit of, um, like, you know, for for some readers, it might feel alienating, but I think it's necessarily alienating in the same way that a song about Chicago that has very specific Chicago references, right? Someone from Chicago would love to see that, but someone from uh, another city might not pick up on it and can still enjoy the poem uh, or can still enjoy the song. So um, with these, I, I think it's kind of a similar relationship. Yeah. And have you had the chance yet to, to talk about the work or share the work much with with other people who were there? Um, a little bit of it. Um, not a lot, not a lot of it, um, but a little bit of it. And, and you know, a lot of what I heard from folks was that it was um, a little bit jarring, I think, to be sort of like thrown back into the memory yeah. of a lot of those experiences. Um, but also the appreciation of being, feeling recognized or like seen, you know, being able to have some sort of a mirror up to an experience that maybe didn't feel like there was a mirror at the time. Yeah. And Jackie, one, one of the hardest things to do in, in radio is, is to sound like yourself. And I'm, you sound like yourself in these poems. <laughs> the, 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 there's literary technique. There's, all, there's illusion. There's all kinds of things happening. But when I, when I read this and when I hear you read it, I, I feel like I'm hearing directly from the poet. Yeah, it's funny, too, because my so um, I started writing poetry when I was very young, but I started uh, doing slam poetry in college. And mm. so I think that that 
years of doing slam poetry and competing um, and in that performance space have prepped me very well for for reading (laughs) Uh, and kind of performing in that way. Um, And also just like, I think that's part of the reason why my poems do, I think even just kind of in the written sense on the page kind of sound the way that I would talk um, because I'm hearing them sort of as I'm writing them as well a lot of times. Are you still writing about Ferguson? Um, in some ways, yes. Um, definitely still thinking about it. I don't think that's something that'll ever change. It's always something that's in the back of my mind um, or the side or the forefront. It's always there somewhere. Um, but I don't write about it as much. Um, and I think that's one of the things that was also important for me with this book. And one of the reasons why it took me such a long time is because I, I knew that I... N- wanted to move on to other things as well. Um, Certainly things that will reference the uprising, things that I learned, things that I, you know, am frustrated by still to this day, um, et cetera. But there are other things that I want to write about, you know, um, and build on some of the stories that I'm telling in this this book, but also some of the ideas, I think, that were birthed and generated during the uprising. In working through the, the memories that you worked through to write these pieces, the notes, and talking with people you may have spoken with, has your relationship with your memory of that time and of that time, has that has that changed on this end of the process, the way you think about it? Yeah, for sure, actually. Um, I think there are a lot of things. It, I mean, the uprising very much was an experience of, people say all the time, sort of building a plane as you're, as you're flying it. Um, there were a lot, of ti- a lot of things that we tried that didn't work. There were a lot of things that we tried that were not a good idea. There were a lot of things that um, we tried that were a great idea, but I think... Um, you know, the benefit of hindsight is being able to look back and kind of have a better understanding of a lot of those strategies where, you know, things that we, ways that we are really inventive and ways that we maybe didn't push as hard as we could have um, relationships that we were able to build and relationships that we lost, you know. Um, And so I think, and looking back now, one of the things that I think about is sort of just how, how much you lose how much you necessarily lose in those moments mm-hmm. um, that you aren't necessarily going to be able to communicate outside of those spaces yeah. or beyond those experiences. Poet Jackie Germain, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This episode was produced by Jeremy Goodwin and Danny Wisentowski. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.